0: My name is Eric Saar. I'm happy to have my friend Adam Green of Arizona Sports on. He was mentoring me when I knew nothing about basketball or writing. And I'm really happy to have him on here. How's it going, Adam?
1: Good, Eric. It's good to be here. No, I don't. Don't give me too much credit for what you're doing. All the great stuff. I just happy to maybe play a small part in where you're at right now.
0: Oh, uh, it was. It was. It was great. It was great. It was a good time when I was in college several many years ago, and uh, had a good had a good time doing that. Um, we got a lot of cool topics to talk about. We, the finals just ended up, and uh, we'll start off with the kind of what did you think of the finals?
1: And I think it wasn't really that surprising to any of us who, I guess once Kevin Durant signed with Golden State, we all kind of figured that they were the team to beat, and I think what made this, I guess, different, or what I enjoyed watching most in this finals was two great players, LeBron James and Kevin Durant going back and forth, and for Kevin Durant, I know a lot of people are giving him flack for going to Golden State and winning, but He was the best player on that team. He was the Finals MVP for what he did. So to me, watching great players play great basketball is thoroughly enjoyable, even if the games, at least the first couple, weren't very competitive. But for the most part, I think it was a good series, basically what we were all looking for.
0: Yeah, definitely. We could talk uh, legacies and things like that forever. But I think people are here to listen to us talk about the Suns as we're local guys. Um, So we're going to get into that. One thing that was um, kind of a rumor that was put around was – This Iguodala needing to get paid um, and wanting to get paid because, I mean, uh, people forget. People who are younger than both of us forget that he was an all-star for several years in in Philadelphia. Uh, Did he get an all-star in uh, Denver? I'm not sure. But uh, he was was a great player before he became such an integral role player to the Warriors. Um, But he might get paid. I mean, there's always the caveat that that, uh, Durant and or Curry could sign for less, which seems... Kind of stupid on their part, but uh, mm-hmm. to keep it all together as much as is possible, I mean, they've already lost so many role players from last year. But uh, when you bring Kevin Durant on board, that is kind of the price you pay. But worth it th- though, <laughs> yeah. What do you th- so one? We'll we'll take the um the kind of this whole veteran presence thing in a second. But what do you think? If if you could, would you take Iguodala?
1: Uh, for the Suns, it a lot depends on the price. But honestly, I don't know if I would based on the role that he would have with this team. I'm a big Andre Iguodala fan. I'm a U of A guy, and of course, he's an Arizona Wildcat. And the Suns kind of dropped the ball back into the 2004 draft when they didn't think he would last to pick number nine. If I remember right, the Suns, I think, we're picking seventh in that draft, and they ended up trading the pick before it even happened because they didn't think Iguodala would be there. And of course, he is there. Then they ended up trading that pick or drafting Luol Deng and sending him to Chicago. But Iguodala is an outstanding player and fit his role in Golden State perfectly and I think he probably could do more than he did there but when you're looking at the Suns is 33 years old and he seems like the type of guy if you're signing him to the contract he's going to want it's going to be a big contract probably three or four years and I just don't know if that fits into with what the Suns have especially when that would probably mean taking away minutes from guys like TJ Warren and maybe Dragan Bender to certain players who need the playing time I don't know if Iguodala is good enough to get you to the playoffs, and if he's not good enough to do that, I don't know why you'd want him to block the minutes for the young guys.
0: Yeah, that's always an interesting thing because I'm all I'm. Some people go seem to go too far and say, "Okay, play every rookie or a young player as many possible minutes and run them into the ground, teach them all the hard lessons, and we'll be bad and horribly bad for as many years as possible until miraculously we vault to the playoffs based on having ten all-stars all stars all. Right. at the same time. Like, and it doesn't work that way. You know that way, that. so
1: But I at mean... the same time, what does he do for them? At 33 years old, he'll be i mean he's 33 in january so he's a young 33 but is he enough eric would you want him to take away the minutes from someone like tj warren who going to this season it's kind of one of those big years for him he showed a lot of flashes of being a good scorer, maybe even a good defender too do you want him to be riding the pine so you could have andre iguodala taking those minutes
0: well there's the thing it's like will he how what kind of a role does he want even if he gets the money um i mean there's no other small forwards i mean Derek jones jr i guess but like it's Warren, and it would, be, would in this hypothetical situation be Iguodala. Now, I would love what I want is for Warren to learn defense from Iguodala because that is what he needs to do is be any th- version of Iguadala on defense, and he's going to be a great player. Now, that's the hard part right there is getting there for him. But uh, and also the just this one thing I'm thinking of: people are saying, oh, they have plenty of veteran presence with with Dudley and Barbosa and Chandler, and I'm thinking. Well, Barbosa, as some have said, is kind of too quiet to really be um, a vocal leader. Dudley's perfect for that role, I think, and he, he's not going anywhere. And Chandler may be moved. I mean, that's a, it's a sense that people are getting. But so, And then also people bring up, how good does a veteran have to be to carry the clout on a team full of young guys? I mean, if all the good players are young, how will they respect the older players? I mean, in some sense, this is a we're tinkering with them. Like, like societal things like trying to yeah. understand psychology but it, it, it is that it is a thing like people it's not just hypothetical
1: yeah i don't i mean veteran leadership to me it's almost like team chemistry where when you're losing you'd say you don't have it and when you're winning you haven't i'm really not sure how big of a deal it is i mean you have guys like eric so it's been in the league for a long time now and yeah you have jared dudley they signed him last year to play that veteran leadership role and i think he does a good job there Mm -hmm. but the nice thing about dudley is that he doesn't worry about his minutes so much where he could go to the bench play 10 minutes a game and he's not going to complain whereas if you sign andre iguodala i don't think he's coming to phoenix to play just a mentorship role i think he's coming to phoenix to play off the bench necessarily he wants to play a lot of minutes still and you're gonna be paying him to play those minutes so like dudley last year I don't want to say he was a bust when they signed him, but they signed him to play a role and the role diminished as the season went on, but he was fine with that. Would Iguodala feel the same way? Would he be the same type of player? So yeah, in a lot of ways, bringing him in, he'd still be—he's still a very good player. He could help the Suns be a better team. I just don't know if he's better enough or if he's good enough to make them a playoff contender. Now, if the Suns were a playoff team this past season and the young guys were leading them there, and they could use a wing stopper or a guy like Iguodala who could facilitate, do so many different things, if he was a missing piece to go from maybe mm-hmm. a. Yeah, a fringe playoff team to maybe a top half of the West playoff team or to be a solid playoff team, it's a different story. But I don't know if he's that player anymore at 33 years old. And for the Suns, with the young guys they do have, I think you're right, Eric, when you said people talk about just play all the young guys, run them into the ground, and at some point they'll all just be magically good at the same time. And there you go, you have a finals contender. It doesn't work that way. At some point you do have to stop rebuilding and start progressing. I just don't know if Igadal is the catalyst for that to happen.
0: Yeah, I guess in one sense the Iguodala thing is just because I like him so much. He's like my fourth favorite player of all time. Like I don't know, but uh, also in one sense I want to bring up this kind of concept of like we said it's not going to happen just based on young guys improving. That's not how it happens. You like people are saying oh the Phoenix Suns are not a, a destination for free agents, and I'm I'm saying. Well, yeah. So let's make like make it a destination in, in a couple of years. If you don't work on making destination now, you're not going to be able to reap the benefits when you actually need it. Like making that jump from fringe playoff team to a six seed or higher happens when a free agent joins you, not when internal improvement just happens. You need the internal improvement gets you from the basement to a fringe playoff team, and then as that person matures while you get free agents that can help you and fill in your gaps in your roster. That's how you make improvement.
1: Yeah, unless you're Los Angeles or Cleveland because of LeBron James, it's hard to just attract the best free agents just because of who you are. And there was a time, I mean, we remember in the mid-'90s, early to mid-'90s, where the Suns were a free agent destination because mm-hmm. people loved Jerry Colangelo. Cal- they trusted he was going to build a winner. You had Charles Barkley, and they were kind of one of those teams where Danny Manning would take less to come to Phoenix. Wayman Tisdale would take less to come to Phoenix. Danny Ainge, these guys wanted to play in Phoenix because they knew, one, they were going to be taken care of, and two, they had a chance to win. And even when the Steve Nash era, the seven seconds or less, they would get those free agents later in the season. Or guys like Tim Thomas, when they would get bought out, they would come to Phoenix. So it's not like Phoenix has never been the prime superstar free agent destination. That's always been the bigger markets. But they were always good. When the Suns were good, they were a place that players would come to play because they thought they had a chance to win. And to your point, Eric, I feel like the Suns, they kind of have that foundation where we don't know what these guys are going to do. We don't know what Devin Booker's ceiling and Mar- Marquise Chris's ceiling is, even Eric Bledsoe, what his ceiling is if he's reached that or not. But if the Suns could get to a point where a free agent looks at them and says, "I'm the missing piece for them being a championship team," then one, it makes more sense for the Suns to go get him, and two, it makes more sense for that player to come to Phoenix. But right now, they're not that team. You know, they signed Tyson Chandler. For be a good veteran leader, he's a good player, but mostly they wanted Lamarcus Aldridge, and they didn't get Aldridge. They got stuck with Chandler, who again isn't a bad player, and he's a good locker room presence, but it hasn't really done much for them. Now, if they would have got Lamarcus Aldridge with them, then the Suns are in a different spot. So, I think you're right. Where the Suns, there's potential to get to that point where that level where you are the destination team, or you're not going to be the Lakers, you're not going to be what the Warriors are, are right now. But if you can get to be good enough where you are a 50-win team, maybe a 53-win team, regularly with young talent, with players that other guys want to play with, then, yeah, you can maybe go get that last piece, that big free agent who says, you know what, I want to play there because I'm going to win and I'm going to get paid. Just right now, they can get paid in Phoenix. They're just not sure if they can win.
0: Yeah, I think it's even a two-tiered thing in the sense that you need some level of an influx of talent from of established talent to take you from where they are to the fringe playoff team before they get that one last missing piece. I mean, Devin Booker and, and et are going to be, get better next year. But I think that it, I, it's like in what there's no, like huge, maybe there is, but like the draft every year, I always say draft picks are overvalued from April to the draft. And then they're undervalued again for six months so i mean like you don't see these draft picks making such a huge like it's not helping so much it's not gonna like like getting the guy is not gonna help you if you you get them you draft them for the next 10 years is what you're looking for you're not looking for them for one year so it's kind of like you're not it's not going to help to get to just just draft people is there a draft so far upcoming that is going to that's like oh it's like the lebron draft you're like if you were before that year in 2003 2002 one of them you you had to be bad so you could have a chance to get LeBron James. But like even then, the lottery odds, the Suns mm-hmm. go from second to fourth. like It's not a given thing. So I don't think there's any incentive to continue to, to quote-unquote, tank to just continue to be bad because there's an, a can't-miss player coming up. I mean, even in this draft, there's not even a can't-miss player. Markel Fultz seems to be the closest there is. So it's, it's kind of like, might as well get a little bit better as long as you don't stump the, the, the players' growth that you actually need to. Like, pretty much I'm thinking um, we're, we're kind of – the way that Bender and Chris kind of can evolve, I don't think it's – I'm not too worried about them because I don't also think they're like, – the only thing I care about is don't stifle Devin Booker's um, improvement. And you can do almost anything else but make the team better so that they can start the timeline and keep going.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the tricky part. Like, I'm a I'm an advocate for tanking, at least to the extent of, like, when the Suns, when, when Amari Stoudemire left after the 2010 playoffs, and they kind of rebuilt on the fly, Hakeem Warwick, Josh oh Childress, Hito Terkelou, to me, eyes. right, and to me, that was the time where necessarily tanking isn't the word, but admit that it's over. And if it takes bottoming out, bottom out. And no one likes that. And once you get there's, once you get into the lottery or the top lottery every year, there's no guarantee you get out. Obviously, the Sacramento Kings, the Timberwolves, the 76ers, There's there's evidence that says, I mean, you have to do it right. Just because you're at the top of the draft, unless you get a LeBron James or an Anthony Davis or a Tim Duncan, unless it's one of those drafts where you get the a franchise altering talent number one overall. There's no guarantee you get out of the bottom of the league just because you are. Yeah, even there.
0: Anthony Davis. Even Anthony Davis. They have not made the playoffs since he's been there, I don't believe.
1: Right, and that's part of where it's like you can get all the good players. You still need to have a decent organization. You have to have a good mm-hmm. structure. And Some could argue that the Suns, right when Steve Nash left, they didn't really have that once D'Antoni was yeah. gone, once Steve Kerr was gone and he went to Lance Blanks error, and that was part of the problem. And now yeah. – with Ryan McDonough, there's a lot more confidence in what they're doing. But with what the Suns have won, they've never had the best luck of having a really high pick in the best drafts. That's why this year is so important and exciting for them because finally it's a draft where you say, hey, there's some pretty good players at the top, and that's where the Suns are. But I think that the issue that there is is when you look at what they have. Devin Booker's 20 years old, and there's this kind of assumption that what he's doing now will wait – He's just going to keep getting better, 21, 22, 23 years old. He's not even close to his prime. How great is he going to be? And we don't know if he's a first banana, a second banana. Is he the best player on a good team, the second best player on a good team? His ceiling could be anywhere from all-star, you know, multi-year all-star to just a very good player on a very good team. And then same guys like Marquise Chris and Benner and even T.J. Warren and uh, Tyler Ulis. They have some good young players. We just don't know what their ceilings are. Right? The, st- the star that they need could be on the roster right now, or they still might not have that guy. So what's intriguing about this team is there's a lot of potential. What's yeah. worrisome about this team is potential doesn't win games. Players do, and right now we don't know exactly what kind of players they have other than guys who have potential.
0: And you don't know how to attract players because you are waiting for people to develop. Which
1: and you is- don't know what your core is. You don't, they Who don't, are, they, are you
0: building around? You're building on Booker, and that's all I'm sure of. And I think, and I've had this conversation with Ian Levy and some other people. I think Booker is the second best t- player on a championship team if he reaches um, near his potential.
1: And there's nothing wrong with that, especially with where they got him at 13. If he's the second best player on a championship team, that's great. The question is, how do you get that first best player? Exactly. And like, how do you find him? And it, I don't yeah.
0: think it's Bender. I don't think it's Chris. And then, I mean,
1: if, I mean, if I it's think- in this draft, if it's Tatum, if it's Lonzo Ball, if they, he's the guy who falls there, I know we'll talk about this later, but that's where you don't get that free agent. LeBron James is not coming to Phoenix on his own. You know That guy doesn't come here. And they talked about trying to accumulate the assets to trade for that player. And I know last year I was a big fan of the DeMarcus Cousins idea. I love Boogie really? Cousins. I know he's a pain and he's a mental guy, and there's so many problems that could come with that. But he's an all-star franchise-level talent, and if you're the Suns, If you're not going to be able to draft that guy and they haven't been at the top of a draft to find that player, and you're not going to be able to sign them in free agency because they're not that type of destination, then the few times they come available in the trade market, you have to be on that. And at the same time, though, someone like Boogie Cousins is available for a reason. And it's Mm -hmm. not because they're great players who are going to carry your franchise, it's because they're going to be free agents or they have attitude problems. So that's where I'm not mad at them for not going and getting Demarcus Cousins, but. That's the type. That's to me is the way they're going to get that number one player on a championship level team. But I just don't know who that guy is and when he's going to be available.
0: So on that thing of, I, I think we're both anti continuing to bottom out because I think you. At don't At some point,
1: you're going to get better. You almost accidentally will get better. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I've last I think trade deadline. There's obviously some caveats here, but what are you opposed if they can? What, I mean, obviously. I think basically everybody's, okay, just don't trade Devin Booker, but trade whatever else you need to to get, say, a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler. What do you think about that? I
1: I don't love the idea because both of those guys are very good players, and depending on what you're giving up to get them, of course, would – dictate how good of a team you are with them i mean if you're giving up eric Bledsoe in one of those deals does that make you that much better having paul george or jimmy butler are they the missing piece i mean paul george specifically he's going to go to the lakers i think most people think anyway after next season right so that's
0: that's such a bummer he's one of my favorite players too
1: oh he's a great player and especially his story with what he's come back from from the injury but that's what it comes down to when you're trading for these guys are they the missing piece or are they somebody you can build around? That was, I know, one of the issues with even DeMarcus Cousins where he was going to be a free agent soon and either you're going to pay him a ton of money or you're going to let him walk, so how much do you give up for him? But the Suns are in that interesting spot because they have so many young players who have potential. And in a perfect world, in a perfect world, Eric Bledsoe stays healthy. Devin Booker continues to develop. Marquis Chris looks like an Amari Stoudemire clone. You know, Joggin Bender is a good defensive player who can do a lot of different things. TJ Warren takes another step. And all these guys that are already on the roster develop into the players you need. And all of a sudden, like we're talking about, poof, you're a playoff team because they all took that next step or the next couple of steps. But you don't know if that's going to happen. And if assuming it doesn't happen, you got to figure out who your core is and don't trade those guys. So what does it take to get Paul George? What does it take to get Jimmy Butler? Is it Marquise Chris? Is it Bender? Is it Bledsoe? How much is too much to get one of those guys? Given that one, they may not stay with you long term, and two, they're probably not the missing piece. They may not be the best player on a championship caliber team either.
0: Really, hmm, that's an, I think that I think that at least Paul George is Jimmy Butler. May, I mean, they're so close, but I don't know. I think they're with, both really good players. Compared with Devin Booker, I think that may be pretty lethal, but. Um... Yeah, that's interesting. Well, let's... let's. Well,
1: think of the ages, too. Jimmy Butler's 27 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how old is Paul George right now? I don't have his age maybe in front one, of me. Maybe
0: 28,
1: probably. So their timelines, too, and this is one of the big things I know when people talk about trading Eric Bledsoe, those guys are in their prime right now. Devin Booker's not going to be in his prime for another three, four, or five seasons. Bender, Chris, the same. So if they're part of your core, you're almost accelerating the process with one player and maybe giving up some of your young guys to try to win right now. And for the Suns, I think their biggest problem, at least in the post uh, Amari Stoudemire era, was they kept trying to win, and there was no plan. And being what they are right now, it's not a lot of fun to watch. Expecting them to be expecting them to lose. But if you stick to your core and believe in what they have and what they're doing, then you have to give it time to grow. It's if it's really easy when someone like Paul George is available or Jimmy Butler is available to say, "Oh, let's go get that guy." Yeah, they'll make you better, but do they make you better enough to be relevant in the Western Conference? And especially with the way the Warriors look for now in the foreseeable future, those guys probably don't make you good enough to contend in the West. And if that's the case. Why not build around the guys who are 18, 19, 20 years old right now and in three, four seasons when they're reaching their prime, hopefully the Warriors are falling off and you might be the team to take the mantle from them.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple things on that. Um, One is, yes, I agree in a sense with the Warriors, but I also I think you can't like bank on the inevitability of them because things happen. Sure. Um, And like things happen. So I don't think like it's a reason to not try for three years. But also, I've I said this thing on my podcast a bunch of times, and I even wrote about it. It's like it's kind of like this quip about timelines. It kind of one of my pet peeves there. There, It's like, <laughs> there's nowhere in the CBA to say that your top three players have to be within three years of each other for you to win the championship. Otherwise, don't sure. even try. Don't even try. My best example is, I think, the 2014 uh, Spurs. Um, the big three were all over 30, I believe, and, and Kawhi Leonard was 22, I think. Um, and they win the championship. Like, that, the core – was not in their prime at all.
1: And oh sure. So but you figure like, your prime not to yeah. interrupt you, but you figure the guys they have now, they're not going to be at their best for another three or four years. So if you're going to build around the guys they have right now, if you're going to build around Booker, Chris, Bender, TJ Warren maybe, if you if those are if that's your core, if those are guys you're going to build around, then it doesn't it's not likely that they'll be able to carry you deep into the playoffs for at least another three, four seasons. It doesn't mean you don't try to win. But just they're going to be at their best probably in that time frame. And if you get Paul George right now, if you get Jimmy Butler right now, in three or four years when the rest of the team is at its best, those guys are maybe on the tail end of their careers. And you're hoping that they still have enough left in the tank along with what you have. Whereas if you can just get guys to build or to have the relatively the same timeline, then everyone's peaking at the same time and your team is going to be better. for. At least your window would be open longer, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm just kind of – I'm more – I mean I like a – I just, for argument's sake, a uh, 31-year-old Paul George and a 23-year-old Devin Booker, I think that's a pretty good team. I mean, combined with all this thing else they have and, and internal improvement. It could be. Pretty good team. But um, I want to go back to the thing you said on Bledsoe or move on to the thing you said on Bledsoe. Let's talk about Bledsoe in a in- sec because he, he was a very good one person told me that he th- thought he was a top 10 point guard. Although, like I've been saying, he's never going to get be an all-star just the way it works in the West and the all-star and who he's paired up against and fighting against to get those slots. Yeah. But he's very, very, very good. I think he has the second best um, body control other than LeBron in the paint. Maybe not finishing like Kyrie, but, but body control and the ability to really just be really strong going in driving in, his his three point percentage has improved. Do you remember when he was first in Phoenix and he had to like walk into a three?
1: Yeah, it wasn't he wasn't a great shooter. He's he's gotten better every single season. Being healthy helps, but no, he's one of the guys who's been a lot of fun to watch because when they traded for him, you're like, okay, here's a guy with a lot of potential. He could be a star, and he's developed into that player because he's learned how to shoot, because he's gotten better body control. He is a very, very, very good point guard.
0: And yet he's still so underrated with the national media and stuff. And Got to win. Exactly. So that's so that's what I'm saying. Like, it's The recognition comes with winning. I mean, Devin Booker said on Twitter like, yesterday, he's like, what do, you, what do you want to do still? People asked him. He's like, win. All I want to do is win. It's mm-hmm. the next thing. And and that's where they get to the confidence, and that's why I don't think you just just play the young guys like Bender. For this last year, people were saying play Bender twenty minutes a game. I'm like, maybe, but he's not going to be even him's regular. What is he's going to be in the NBA for another two years? It doesn't do anybody any good to be to just play him all the time. I mean, in a sense, he gets some awareness, some stuff, but that's really what Chris needs, not as much what Bender needs. Bender needs to be in the weight room for two years.
1: Yeah, it's a tough call because you figure guys learn by doing, you know, trial by fire. You don't learn much from sitting on the bench. And I think if Bender had been healthy this season, he would have played a lot more. Chris ended up playing a lot just because he was healthy for all of two games. But, yeah, it, it's a tough call because if I'm a Suns fan and I'm watching what they were doing last year and they're struggling, I mean, especially once they decide to rest guys. I think they call it strategically resting players, is what Ryan McDonough called it on 98.7 FM. It's like, yeah, the strategically resting guys are not making the playoffs. I don't buy it. But if you're playing, say, Jared Dudley over Dragon Bender or Marquise Chris, or you're playing Leandro Barbosa over Tyler Ulis, to me it's like, why? What are you getting out of this? Because those guys aren't part of your long-term future. Whereas a younger player, I'd rather watch him because – Whereas I know what Jared Dudley is, what I where I know what Leandro Barbosa is, I don't know what T.J. Warren is, or I don't know what Tyler Ulysses is or Dragan Bender, and those are the guys I want to see. Yeah, they're going to make mistakes. They might You're not going to help you win games, but you're not winning games anyway. So you might as well let the young guys be the ones getting the experience on the floor. But at the same time, players learn different ways, and there, there's some argument where if a guy goes out there and he's not ready – then it kind of scars him or he develops bad habits and you don't want that either, so I get both sides of it. If I'd lean towards playing the young players over the veteran guys when all is lost and when the Suns, when they decide to rest their guys late in the season and they were basically saying, we're not worried about winning games, we're worried about development, and that's why it was good to see guys like Derek Jones Jr. Mm-hmm. and Alan Williams, and those guys get those minutes because they may not be great players down the road, but we don't know that yet, whereas we know what Dudley is, we know what Tyson Chandler is, we know what Leandro Barbosa is, so I don't need to see more of them i want to see the young guys who could develop into more than what they have right now
0: for sure and i agree with that last season now the question is um the first half of this next season they need to try to win games yeah <laughs> oh just, absolutely like, why wouldn't you yeah they, because people are saying but you're not going to make the playoffs so you're not you don't do know it, that so yet. don't try and that's what i'm saying i know
1: like they're not going to be a great team they're not going to compete with the warriors if they do that would be surprising as anything i think in the nba but you got to think if Eric Bledsoe stays healthy and plays like he did last season, or this past season. And Devin Booker takes another step forward or plays as well as he did. T.J. Warren is healthy. Marquis Chris takes a step forward. and Bender does too. It's not a bad roster. It's not a bottom five in the West roster, I don't think. But, no, beginning of the season, you roll your guys out there and see what you have. I, just, I don't see why anyone would want them to just tank to start this next season. No, it's a fresh season. You have enough young players even last year, if they would have won games with their young players just accidentally, that's fine. You know, you would take that. Like, yeah. so I'm glad they have a top four pick or the number four pick. I wish they'd have had the one, two, or three, but I'm fine with that. But if the whole thing you want as a Suns fan right now is to have your to have enough young players to win games, to have stars, young stars, and if the guys they have now develop into those players, then what are you waiting for? What are you looking for? So no, I don't see. They go out there next season. I think they should be trying to win, absolutely, but not to say they will. But I think they should try.
0: Yeah, I think that people. No one's going to suggest to start out the season, but I think it's like if it gets to Christmas and they're anywhere near the bottom, they're like, "Okay, blow it up, blow it up." I mean, and I'm like, "What's their What are you blowing it up for?" There's right. That's a, real a fair chance question. That you're going to get the top pick. You need to put the right players out there. Do play as hard as you can. Put the right. Try to win. Because you never know what that can attract in negotiations in the off season.
1: Sure. And these guys need to learn how to win. Not to say yeah. that Devin Booker and his one season at Kentucky didn't know how to win. They're get they're drafting players from good programs, but yeah, it'd be nice to see them just for their own sake develop winning habits. And I know Earl Watson talks a lot about different things like that. And I'm not big on the motivational speaking myself, but these are guys where again, if they would have it's when the the first Jeff Hornacek year, when Gordon Dragovich was most improved player, they traded mm-hmm. for Eric Bledsoe, and all of a sudden they, they that t, that year they should have made the playoffs. They won enough games. There's just bad luck on that part. The but buzzer beaters, they lost with forty
0: yeah. wins. Ridiculous.
1: But it's if you theory. accidentally win games with a young team, there are worse things that can happen. Except because that press. would mean if they if they somehow win. No, if they win 45 games in this next season, it probably means their young guys are playing really well. Mm-hmm. And if you're the Suns, that's what you want. So, yeah, you'd say, oh, maybe it's nice to get a top three pick. Yeah, and you get more really good players, potentially really good players. But if you already have really good players, then you don't need them. And at some point, the Suns need to have those guys. And if the ones they have on the roster now can fill that role, then I don't think there's anything wrong or disappointing with that.
0: Except for the uh, 45-win season is the kiss of death for the uh, the head coach because it means if they don't improve by two or five wins every year for the rest of their lives, <laughs> they're going to get fired.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, so, it's not ideal. But at the same time, no, I, I like where they're at as far as there's potential. And there were so many years before this, season, this past season where you looked at what they had on their roster. And not only did you know they weren't going to be that good, but you didn't see any hope for them to be much better down the road in the future. And
0: the Hedo Turkaloo year.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was like, what are you What are you watching? Is this a team that's really going to make any noise in the playoffs if they even get there? Whereas this team, there's no guarantees with this, and that's the beauty of the draft. Like you were saying earlier, how you can get a top pick doesn't mean they're going to help you. And we don't know what these guys are going to be, but there's a chance. There's potential for them to be something special. And the odds probably aren't with them, but it's it beats – having a losing team with a bunch of mid-20s, 30-year-old players. I'd take the losing team with guys in their teens and their early 20s because at least there's potential, there's a chance, there's hope for the future.
0: Yeah, what do you think of the job McDonough and Earl Watson have done, will be able to do? Do you have confidence in them going forward?
1: Uh, that's a really tough question because I think with McDonough specifically – I'll separate it. With McDonough specifically, he's had some really good decisions and I think some bad decisions where mm-hmm. my own personal opinion – I haven't spoken with him too much. I don't really – I'm not around the team as often as some are. But he almost has always struck me as someone who understands the analytics side of basketball, the numbers, roster construction. In that way, he's brilliant. But in the personable aspect of it, understanding that these are people – I don't want to say he doesn't understand that people are people and they have emotions and feelings and all that. That's not fair to say about Ryan McDonough. But the mistakes that he has made were signing Isaiah Thomas, upsetting Goran Dragic. Well, no kidding, that's going to upset Goran Dragic. His role is going to be different. Or trading Marcus Morris, where of course that's going to upset Markeith. Why wouldn't it? And I understood why he did everything he did. But at the same time, just it didn't seem like there was much care or regard for the personal aspect of basketball. And McDonough, I mean, there were some quotes he had in the media. I know after they traded Goran Dragic, his press conference was a lot of people, something paraphrasing here, but that a lot of people are complaining or worried that we traded our best player. But you know, Eric Bledsoe is still here. Markeith Morris is still here. And then the following season, they're trading Markeith Morris. So yeah. I feel like there's some <laughs> level of, yeah, like these guys are going to be upset. Why wouldn't they be upset? It's kind of like you're drafting over players or you're signing over your own guys, recruiting over what you already have. They're not going to be happy. They're professionals, but they all have egos. So I think he's made some mistakes along the way. He's done some good things. But the smartest thing he's done is blow it up like he has the last couple of years because then you get people like me who would normally be on him for this team not winning, saying, well, there's young players. They need time to grow. So McDonough, if nothing else, probably bought himself some time for these guys to develop into whatever they're going to be. And,
0: and he's like a trade ninja.
1: Yeah, well, he got the Eric Bledsoe trade. That one was great. And, but now the,
0: it's for a second-round pick because they got Jared, Jared Dudley back.
1: Yeah, well... <laughs> And too, like he got he got as much as you could ask for out uh, of Goran Dragic, for instance. And
0: more, but of than course, Mark he,
1: Heath. yeah. But he also helped create those situations where he had to get rid of those guys. So yeah. I'm not going to give him a. T- I mean, he deserves credit for making lemonades out of or lemonade out of lemons. But of course, he's the one who bought himself a bushel of lemons to make my own cliche or <laughs> metaphor there. So, and it's the same thing too. Like, and then he turned around and traded that Lakers pick and got Brandon Knight. So that wasn't a very good trade. So he, you win some, you lose the some. No team back. is perfect, but. At the same time, is he? I wouldn't necessarily say Ryan McDonough should be on the hot seat right now because he deserves time to see this through. And I do think he's a smart GM. And if the Suns fire him, his his next GM job he'll be better. Yeah. You know, he strikes me as one of those guys who he'll learn from what his mistakes were here. Maybe find himself a different situation with different, just different roster construction, and be a better GM for it. So, for the Suns, of all the problems I have, I don't think Ryan McDonough is at the top of the list. I'll say that.
0: And Earl Watson.
1: That's a good question. I, that surprised me when. Well, didn't surprise me. Almost disappointed me when they named him the full-time head coach, seemingly without doing much of a coaching search. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I wonder, is, I think Earl Watson's one of those guys. He reminds me of AJ Hinch with the Diamondbacks, where he took over, he wasn't ready. The team wasn't very good. They fired him because, of course, he wasn't going to win. A few years later, AJ Hinch ends up with the Astros as one of the best managers in baseball. Whereas I don't think Earl Watson is ready to be a head coach right now but he might be in a few years. Just with the team he has, he's not going to win with this team, and he knows that, and that's where I wonder his relationship with McDonough late in the season when they were sitting Eric Bledsoe and sitting Tyson Chandler, it seemed like Earl Watson, he would make a few comments here and there about how, well, that's a management decision, or this and that, and it didn't seem like he was, him and his GM were on the same page because he's like, oh, don't ask me, that's upstairs, or as opposed to, this is a Phoenix Suns decision, it's, no, that's, that's the GM's decision, and I imagine Earl Watson, he wants to win games, and he's saying, you're making me sit this guy, he can help me win games. Of course it's going to be tension, but I don't know if they're necessarily on the same page, and I don't know if necessarily Earl Watson is meant to be the coach for this team if and when it gets good. He might just be the carryover till the next coach. When you are ready, you can attract a better quality coach, and then you have him, which isn't fair to Earl Watson other than the fact that he gets some experience, and hopefully he doesn't go mm-hmm. the Lindsay Hunter route where oh. got the job when he wasn't ready for it and never to be seen or heard from again.
0: Yeah, I think there's some with that management decision stuff that could be together them saying, okay, McDonald's going to be the bad guy here because he can be. But also, yeah, so that's kind of a potential thing. I think Earl Watson, I think they hired him just because, like you kind of said, he's a potentially intermediary guy. Plus, he's like, it's low key and it helps the culture, which is what they needed at the time, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And it helps and they can then when it's actually time to be high profile, they can go that route
1: yeah maybe I mean, you're going to get a Thibodeau this past season right I know he was out there goes to Minnesota I like him but you weren't ready for a coach like that and who to be <laughs> fair you may never be but I just always go back to my main job for Arizona sports is covering the Arizona Cardinals. And mm-hmm. anytime Bruce Arians or Steve Kime talk about a decision, it's always it's an Arizona Cardinals decision. that They talk about staying in their own lanes, but it's an Arizona Cardinals decision. And I was kind of hoping to hear that from the Suns last year, where, yeah, I don't expect Earl Watson to be happy that he's being forced to sit Eric Bledsoe, just like I didn't expect Bledsoe to be happy, or mm-hmm. I wouldn't expect Tyson Chandler or Brandon Knight to be happy about it, because if they were, then you have a problem. But I think it would have been, well, you're used to hearing a head coach say, no, that's our decision. That come up with some excuse that you want, you know, for Eric right, so resting or whatever. Just come up with an excuse, but it needs to be a team excuse. It needs to be one where you're all on the same page, and you're not supposed to give the idea that there's any discord or any dysfunction there. And maybe that's Earl Watson just being honest. I'm not going to criticize a coach or anyone in sports for being honest and sharing what they actually feel, as opposed to giving cliches and the company line. But you're just used to hearing coaches or GMs talk as if they're together, pulling their rope the same direction, as some people say. And at least a couple of times late in last season, it did not seem like Earl Watson and his GM were on the same page.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well we're gonna they're gonna have to team up here. Let's turn it to the draft. A week from Thursday, the Suns, of course, as is want to happen every single time the Suns have a draft, which is every year. <laughs> um, they fell down in the standings, so tanking, will never It's their the Suns are tanking impervious. They are, it doesn't even help. They went they're the fourth spot. They haven't got a workout with anybody that they want to <laughs> yeah, um, that we know of. That we know of, of course. I mean that's a, so they don't. I don't think they got one with uh, Josh Jackson, Lonzo Ball. Of course not, Markel, Markel Fultz. They got Jason Tatum, but it seems like entire Suns Twitter has just completely don't want Tatum, and I'm not sure if I'm. I don't. I might be with them on that um we'll get to kind of every more specific guys um in a second but i wanted to bring up this one point more first um it seems like the josh jackson may go two to the lakers or it's a it's a rumor fault seems to go one and if a shooter or fox or somebody goes number three would you take ball number four?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. i would and I don't. I didn't expect the Suns to be in this position and this kind of. If you t- if you draft Lonzo Ball, you have to trade Eric Bledsoe, right? You're not going to bring in Lonzo Ball to sit as a rookie. He needs to start and be your guy for the next ten years. And I don't think Eric Bledsoe would be too happy with that. But when there's a player like that, his dad is a pain and not particularly bright. His son, I just think is just going along with whatever Lonzo. But a six five point guard who came in as a freshman and did what he did. There's a reason why people look at him as a number one or number two pick in this draft. He is potentially be a franchise altering talent and if you can get that at your point guard spot a big point guard a tall point guard who won't be an issue on the defensive end I don't see how you pass it up I mean would it be for Tatum would that be the only other option at number four and to me I like Jason Tatum pretty well too or maybe Isaac from Florida State but Mm -hmm. no, to me if Lonzo Ball is there at number four for the Suns you take him and thank people for leaving him there for you
0: yeah, one a couple things. I um, I kind of worried about it. Was, was worried about his defense and his shooting, but uh, his release just looks so ugly to me. And, oh yeah, like, well, Sean like, Marion really had like, a
1: nice career and he never learned how to shoot either. Like,
0: Sean Marion's taller and also was <laughs> left open a lot. True, true. Ball will be having to do this. Like uh, he's gonna get blocked so much by a lot of point guards, even though he's six five. So around the final four, I got to hang around with about ten college basketball writers. For we went out and. Uh, got to pick their brains about all these guys for like four hours mm-hmm. and it was amazing and so to me Lonzo Ball also has seems to have the the biggest range of outcomes as the, the most of these top players and he could be really good he could be this just amazing like Magic Johnson-ish type with his 6-5 and his passing and stuff and then I also see him as more of a bu- potential bust than the other guys but maybe that's just my projection on it um, I've also heard that his dad's not going to be a problem in the NBA. Like the way it works, I just I just don't see that being too much of an issue. It's more right. about just the circus and just the, the grind it's going to be on all of us and <laughs> all of you guys and just trying to like we have to really talk about this again and him again. But on the basketball side, I mean, you have Ulis and you have Bledsoe. I mean, and you have Nine Barbosa. But and then bringing Lonzo Ball, it'd be really interesting to see that all work out. That would be. I mean, I don't. I don't know of I – I don't know see – think about a Ball, um, Booker, Warren, Chris lineup. Like, that is a really bad defensive lineup, like really bad.
1: Yeah, it's got some size and athleticism. I mean, Lonzo Ball is not a surefire prospect. I mean, I don't know what his floor is, if it's Kendall Marshall. Oh, a, gosh. Uh, yeah, I mean, but one of those guys who even – there's a role for guys who are big and are great passers and see the floor well and one or two steps ahead of everyone else. And Lonzo Ball, he would have to get bigger. He'd have to get stronger. And maybe his shot would be a problem. But you have to think that no matter what, if you, line, if you put him in a backcourt next to Devin Booker, you have a good-sized backcourt mm-hmm. and you have a willing passer. And to me, the way the Suns are trending with this roster, if you have Devin Booker and if you have Marquise Chris and Bender and T.J. Warren, those are all guys who like to score the basketball who are guys who are going to want to put the ball in the basket. And If you have Lonzo Ball as your point guard, he's not going to worry about your scoring. He's the guy to get you, though, get those guys their buckets. Whereas Eric Bledsoe, I love Eric Bledsoe, but he's a scoring point guard. So I don't think Lonzo Ball is too much of an issue with this team's roster going forward, other than the fact that someone like Eric Bledsoe, if you draft Lonzo Ball, it's hard to imagine Bledsoe sticking around for much longer. And to my point about McDonough earlier, about how he seems like he would draft over players, and understandably, like, why wouldn't these guys be upset – at the same time, if Lonzo Ball is there if you had four, that is the absolute right pick, and you sort out the rest of it later to me.
0: Yeah, and then the question is, for what? Because there's a sense in best play, well, not best play available, but um, trying to trying to trade for fit and trade for high value is different. So, like, mm-hmm. if you do get Ball, what do you trade Bledsoe for and with? Like, what do you add in the in – the, do you try to go big? Do you try to go small? Do you try to – not a salary dump, but you just try to like get a, extra picks, which I don't think you go for extra picks in this sense. No, I don't either because you have the Miami picks coming up. You have most of your own picks. Like don't, don't, you got don't, enough young players. <laughs> you, you don't have like, that's what I'm saying. Like going getting all these players, you don't have any room to play all the young players. They're just right. going to be really bad if you just play young players.
1: So now at some point you need to have players who are ready to win and ready yeah. to play. You can't just keep recycling 18, 19 and 20 year olds. No, that doesn't work.
0: That doesn't work. So, so then so that i think i mean i'm okay with alonzo ball pick but it just it just for me josh jackson is the safest pick like i'm i would be the most happy with if he fell 100
1: percent, he fits what this team has right now perfectly
0: and and need and needs for the future and then it would just be really good but it's not looking like that's going to happen and from what i've seen um so if it's alonzo ball the other people it's jason tatum um isaac and I'm maybe even – what do you think about, like, Fox or uh, Dennis uh, J- Jones Jr.? I
1: mean, I, I – I, if they're going to go point guard, and I don't love the idea of them going point guard because, to me, that means you're done with Eric Bledsoe. And like I've said many times, I like Eric Bledsoe. Unless but, it's Ball. But if you're going to go, like, if you're going to go Lonzo Ball, that's different to me. Like, that makes sense to me why you would do that. So, I don't – the other guys that are there, Isaac, I think, has a really – I think his floor is lower than some because I like players who did more at the collegiate level. If I'm going to spend a top five pick, I mean, I don't like seeing guys saying, I'm driving this guy based on what, not basically on what he's done, but what I think he could be, even though he's got immense potential. So there are guys, Smith, Fox, like they're good, but I think Lonzo Ball is the passing point guard that this team would need with the other players on the roster. So. If I'm the Suns I'm going point guard, I'm hoping it's Lonzo Ball. And if it's not him, then I'm probably going with someone like Tatum, who maybe if he pans out as a guy who will score 23, 24 points a game and develop into a passable defensive player because at least you're going to get some skill that you know will translate to the NBA.
0: So is he like a Warren analog, or do you slide him in at four and push – Try to well, Chris can't play five. Bender he should shouldn't. If, but what?
1: He shouldn't play the five, no.
0: He shouldn't play the five and – he shouldn't play the three. He needs to play the four. And I think Bender. Like we've talked about, I talked about this on the podcast a bunch. Bender should not be a three. He has to be a four for a while, and ideally he's a five down the road.
1: Well, I mean, I think at this point you have the positionless basketball too. Mm-hmm. And if you have enough players, like if say, I mean, if Tatum's your pick, then he's a pretty big player too. At the three or the four, and just depending on matchups where. Just you throw your best five out there. The Suns were at their best when they had D'Antoni when Amari Stoudemire was playing the five. Yeah, you know because there weren't a lot of bigs, true centers out there, and there still aren't a lot. There's even fewer now. There's more guys who'll go out to the perimeter or be face-up shooters. Where I think if you're the Suns, if that's your problem, if you have just a bunch of, if you have five guys between six three and seven feet out there who can move, defend on the pick and roll, hit three pointers, and that's ideal. I
0: mean, Draymond's, so, Draymond Green is the perfect example for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the question is, can Tatum be that kind of player or wrong with Chris? I hope Chris can get better defensively and lets him slide it to the centers. What do you think of Len and Williams and Chandler? What should what should what should happen there? That,
1: that is a really good question because the best player in that group is Tyson Chandler still, but he's a little bit older and they shut him down last season a for older. a reason. <laughs> and just a smidge older than the <laughs> other guys. Really and I don't know. Yeah, he is the the wise old veteran on this team, it seems like. That guy's been in the league forever. <laughs> I remember when he came out of high school. But, I mean, Alan Williams, I, don't, I love what he did. I don't know if he – I think he's a good bench player on a team. I don't think he is a starter, especially not on a good team. And Alex Solan, at some point, I don't – I've never been – I mean, I'll admit I've never been a fan of his game. But at some point, he is what he is. And, yeah, I know the worry is that he goes somewhere else and starts to make good on that potential – but I just don't haven't seen enough from him over the last four or five seasons where I say, you know what, that guy is going to be a good NBA center. So yeah. for what he's going to get paid or what he's going to command as a free agent, I'm not a big fan of paying him that. But at the same time, I understand he is just 23 years old who's played just four seasons in the NBA. So there's always room for him to get better. I just... I wouldn't pay him to do it, and that leaves Tyson Chandler and Alan Williams, and neither one of those guys are your center of the future either. Yeah. So I think that's a position where they definitely have some questions to answer, and I honestly don't know where I would go if I was them.
0: Yeah, that's the, the problem there is that Tyson is too good to like just bench him the whole time. Mm-hmm. Alan Williams is too raw to play him as starter. And Len's really good. I have you seen this? Like this last year, I saw him be more explosive. He he had all these nagging injuries for so many years, for all the years since he's been drafted, basically. And I think now he's starting to get healthy and confident. Although I just started a basketball development business, and I would like to work on his shot so he stops fading away.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, that's not ideal for him. But
0: like he around the basket, he has more energy and seems like explosiveness around the basket. And if he ha- if he starts dunking it more instead of just like trying to lay it up and trying to do his fadeaways. He can, if you can focus that, he may be better. But have you seen this explosiveness with him?
1: Yeah, a little bit, and that comes with being healthy. And I'll admit, I'm surprised he ever got healthy because play, you know, big guys with foot problems earlier in their careers. I don't trust that, and that's a guy who struggled with that really his first couple of seasons. But I just don't know. It's it's different in the NBA now when players come out. I mean, Alex Lund played, what, one year at college, two years at college, I think, at Maryland. And he was raw, and everyone knew he was a raw prospect coming into the NBA. But he's played four seasons, and last year, in 20 minutes a game, was eight points, nearly seven rebounds, a block a game. He wasn't bad, but what is his peak? What is his ceiling? And, and
0: that's the question, because remember— And no it, one
1: knows what it is yet. It might be what we've seen already, and it might be a little bit better, but we don't know. Just how much can you pay him to find out?
0: Yeah, and we don't we don't know because we, we can't really run the offense through him. Now Booker is such a green light. And then a year and a half ago, I remember Earl Watson took, like, hey, let's take 10 games and run everything through Alex Lynn. And that <laughs> yeah. didn't go well at all.
1: But that was also, fun to watch, but not really that effective. But no. <laughs> also, that
0: was when Archie Goodwin was the point guard.
1: <laughs> Which, yeah, no, a bunch of things that should probably never happen Yeah, ever, ever a bunch again. of things
0: right there. That was just a whole mess of things. But now, with <laughs> and also, you mentioned Williams. I think Williams and Ulist are both, like, like, like Ulis is going to be the best backup point guard for 10 years in the league. Oh, they mm-hmm. have
1: roles in the NBA, both of those guys. And Absolutely. A <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, could they fill in? Could Ulis fill in as a starting point guard at some point on a good team? Probably for a few games. Could Allen Williams play regular minutes? Absolutely. Is that floater? But-
0: and the rebounding? Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. So I mean, they, these guys and those were that's one of the beauties of last season, the way it went is it found minutes for these guys to see what they could do. But yeah, I don't think these are the types of, those are the types of guys you build around. Mm-hmm. So depending on what they cost to keep, and that's where teams like the Suns, when you have all these young guys, sooner or later you have to decide who are the ones you're building around. Who do you keep? Who do you pay? And for players like Alex Len who yeah, you'd like to think he's part of their core, he's twenty three years old. But someone's gonna pay him a lot of money just because they have the cap space and figure why not throw it at that guy and see if he can be more than he has been. And I just don't know if the Suns could be the team to do it.
0: And it's crazy that Williams is older than him.
1: Yeah, Ellen Williams is twenty four years old. He's only played I mean, I like watching him play last year. Some Let guys he's him. he's a big guy. I mean he's not tall, but he's a big guy, he's strong and has a knack for finding the ball off he's the really glass the and the
0: rebound is ridiculous. He was like three yeah. guys are on him and he's like six eight. Like, and you know as well as
1: anyone that's positioning and just dedic like drive to get that rebound. Dennis Rodman wasn't the tallest player, but he knew where that ball was going and went and got it. And Alan Williams is plenty big enough, and with his just his hustle, his dedication to rebounding, he's going to be effective at that.
0: For sure. Now let's uh, one final thing before we feel we've covered almost all the players. But uh, let's um Derek Jones Jr. I know they've they like basically no money invested in him. But he showed some things fighting out Russell Westbrook and really defending well, being really lanky, obviously, his dunks. Um, what do you think of him? Does he? Is he? Should he be tried to be as part of the core? Is he like a fringe player that gets thrown somewhere else and maybe he'll flourish? What do you think?
1: The good thing is I don't get to make that decision yet, mm-hmm. where you see a player. I mean, there's a reason why he was available to them, why no one picked him up. But at the same time, he's got good size for a small forward and we know the leaping the leaping ability and if he can learn to play good defense like you talked about he showed flashes of being a good defender last season then he has a role you know does that mean he's a starter does that mean he's a sixth man does it mean just what he is we don't know but he's 20 years old and until you have to make that decision I don't think you worry about it because he's just part of the team next season and you see how things shake out but I think he showed enough last season to where you're like okay there's something to work with there, yeah, we need and to see, as long as you have that, keep keep it going. We
0: need to see if he can develop a, any sort of a jumper, mid-range or otherwise. And, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have to do he, it how much, now. How much weight can he put on?
1: Yeah, and that, those are the questions that, again, he's 20 years old. He, you know Six, seven, a buck, 90. If he could gain 10, 15 pounds of muscle or develop that jump shot, that floater, or just be a lockdown defender. he could learn those traits and within his athleticism and length, he could do that. So I don't see why you don't, at least, I mean, depending on his contract, obviously, and where that goes, until you have to make that decision, I wouldn't worry about it because maybe he finds his way into the rotation next year and you realize you do have something in him or maybe he falls out of the rotation and that's fine. It happens, but he's got enough potential. He's got enough ability where why not see what he could do?
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting with the the way the league has kind of gone with these sometimes, like obviously there's two-way players that can really do stuff, but then there's like these players that they do one thing well. Like I always think of Anthony Morrow and Andre Robertson. Yeah, and that's the thing. Anthony Morrow is one thing, and Andre Robertson cannot shoot to save his life. He made some because he probably worked on it for like years straight just to make sure he could stick in the NBA, but he's such a good instinctual, strong defender that he can do it, and Anthony Morrow can only shoot threes. And that's that's the
1: beauty of basketball, though. Whereas you have five guys on the floor, and obviously you like to have great two-way players. You can shoot the basketballs. Why the Warriors are so good, yeah. but if you have, if you're someone who has the size, if you're Kyle Korver to stand the corner and make every three but the biggest one of your season, oh, then you on. can have. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I'm kidding. never like someone like that. He he's been a good player, but if you can develop that skill to where you are, I mean, PJ Tucker, for instance, yeah. Bruce Bowen. Be a great defender who can hit corner threes and hustles. Then you'll have a role in the NBA for 10, 15 years. So mm-hmm. something like that. You don't have to be the best player in the NBA, but you could be the right player on the right team, and all of a sudden you are the player that they need.
0: And also as we're talking about all this drafting and free agents and stuff, it doesn't. we don't need to worry about this. Like people get worried about, ooh, the fit, and who this guy displaces this other guy. It's like they're not, they're not competing for a championship. Don't worry about like – fit like i fall into this sometimes but it's like it doesn't matter if oh does he surpass him and does he oh is he going to make him not happy like unless you're like worried about devin booker and a couple other people like don't worry about fit or almost anything else with them
1: no you want to build your roster i mean to fit you want fit to somebody like you don't want to add more two guards for instance because they aren't going to interfere with devin booker and even at your forward positions when you have tj warren you have bender you have chris you want to make sure that if you trust that those are your guys you don't want to draft or sign guys that are going to take away from their development so i think fit does I matter that, to some but... degree but at the same time yeah you don't it it all depends it's like when going into the draft and people say draft the best available player well i hate that phrase because that's different for every team right you know different in the nba than say the nfl whereas like in the nfl if you have a quarterback even if the best player available is a quarterback, you're not going to draft him. Yeah. You know, if the Colts have the top pick in the draft and the pick the best player was a quarterback, they're not taking one because they're they have
0: Seven people. offensive linemen.
1: Right. And that's just how it works. So when people say best player available, that means something different for every team, largely based on what your team needs are. But in the NBA, when you're the Phoenix Suns and you have maybe one guy on your team you say, for sure he is someone we're building around. Then every other position is up for grabs. Mm-hmm. So if that's where if that's where they're at. Where yeah, you're not going to draft someone that would take away from Devin Booker. Of course, he could slide between the two and the three. So you pretty much have any position available to you to draft. But of course, if you take certain positions, it's going to, it's going to, I guess, uh, it's going to impact where your roster goes. If you draft a point guard fourth overall, chances are, so is not your point guard in two seasons. So you're going to have to make a move there. It still um, has ramifications. Um,
0: you're saying like it has, right. even though you do, to try to take best player that you think is on your board you still have ramifications about who you draft for sure
1: exactly you said it better than i did
0: <laughs> and but although the, the caveat to that this year in the draft i think is the celtics and markel faults because even though they have a thomas and bradley and smart and like all these players like they kind of have to take faults otherwise i mean some people don't think he's the best player but i think he's the best player in the draft.
1: Well, yeah, he could play next to Thomas, or Thomas is going to be a free agent soon too, so they have to decide what they want to do there. It's almost like Isaiah Thomas Insurance, if Fultz is as good as you think. So, yeah, I mean, it's the NBA, generally speaking. If a guy has a transcendent talent, then he's going to carry your team. You don't pass him up because you have a good player at his position, right? If the best player in this draft was a two-guard and the Suns had the top pick, you're not going to be like, well, we have Devin Booker, so we're not going to draft that guy. No, you pick the best player and let it all sort itself out later. You find a way to make it work. But when you're in a position like the Suns are right now, picking fourth, or even just trying to reload their roster, supplement what they have, you can be a little picky based on what you think you're building around what you know you have. But for the most part, they don't have enough outside of Devin Booker to say, well, I'm not going to touch that position because X player is here. No, you, whoever they identify as the best player, regardless of position, that's who you take. But the idea that there's this, no matter what, they're going to take the best player available. To me, that's a myth that people say and then, kind of regurgitate because the best player is different on everybody's board.
0: Yeah, To finish it off, um, let's talk a little bit about Devin Booker. One, what do you think about his 70-point game? And then also kind of like, can you move to the three? get stronger, defense, taller. Talk about those two things. I said it twice. Oh my goodness, that's the worst.
1: That's okay. I'm not going to hold it against you. To me, Devin Booker is such an interesting player because obviously to some degree he was putting up great numbers on a bad team where someone had to shoot the ball, it might as well be him. At the same time, you don't score 70 points on accident. You could get 50, but you're not going to get 70 on accident. You have to be pretty good to do that. And Devin Booker obviously has the potential to do that. But I do wonder how he fits on a team with other good players next to him, Mm -hmm. where it just hasn't happened yet. I don't know. The one thing about him, and I think he's a great guy, he does seem to have that chip on his shoulder. He plays with an edge, which works out great when you're winning. And when you're losing, it's like, hey, dude, just chill out. And focus on doing your job. You anyway, he's a talker; he kind of gets into it with people, and yeah. I like that attitude. Except he he's confident, but I want to see him do more than just put up—I don't want to say empty stats—but I want to see him win. I want to see his stats, and it's not necessarily his fault that they haven't won. But to me, that's that's the thing he said in that tweet. You know, what's the thing he wants to do next in his career? He wants to win. When he does that, everything else seems to make more sense. But I think he's a really good player. There's a obviously you see the potential. He's—I don't know if he's a megastar because. He's not huge, he's six six, and he's not a superior athlete. He's six seven now. Oh, did he grow? Okay, well, I wish I'm growing the wrong way. He's growing tall. I'm growing wide. Yeah. But that's what happens when you get older. But <laughs> he's not he's not a, he doesn't have the great size. He doesn't have great athletic athleticism. Yeah. But he is a very good shooter. Now he has good enough size, good enough athleticism. But to me the guys at his position that end up being the best are the ones that either Ray Allen type shooters where if he gets to that level, then he can be great. But even Ray Allen was a fantastic athlete. Mm-hmm. So Devin Booker, has a, he has one great tool shooting, and he's very good at a lot of other things. I just don't know if he has the right tools to be a superstar in the NBA. But at the same time, don't score 70 on accident, like I said. And he's shown flashes of being able to do that. I want to say overcome his limitations because that's a terrible way to put it. But he definitely shows the ability to be a very, very, very good player, if not a superstar.
0: Yeah, I mean his percentages on shooting haven't been as good as they would as his the eye the the i test to say the cliche would. But that um, also indicate... comes with he's
1: been the, one, the main option. Like, yeah,
0: he's the only option.
1: He puts up the raw numbers because someone needs to shoot the ball, but he puts up bad statistics sometimes because everyone knows he's going to shoot the ball.
0: Yes, very well said. Do you think his defense, with them, more effort or time, will get passable? Is it is it even in the realm of possibility for him to be an above average defender? Do you think?
1: I think a lot depends on the players around him okay. where he's probably – he's not going to be a lockdown defender ever. But if you have enough good players around him, it's like when Steve Nash was with the Suns. Was he as bad a defender as people thought? Not really. He was okay. But the rest of the team didn't play any defense either. So he would get exposed because there was no one to help him out. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean Marion was a great defender because he was the only guy on that team who played defense until they got Rajah Bell. So to me, Devin Booker, I think he, he should be an okay defender. He's not, he's not small and he's not unathletic. Like so there's stuff
0: no... level stuff level defense like yeah. he has good possessions where he plays really good defense but then also possessions where he's like doesn't have the energy or the time like and to... that's
1: how it was with Steve Nash back in the day where they're capable and I think Devin Booker should be capable. Yeah. You know if it's effort if it's just learning if it's culture if it's the players around him if it's a combination of all those things he should be at least a passable defender but until they have more around him you won't notice if he does make those improvements too easily.
0: You know who needs more work on their defensive positioning? Can you guess?
1: Hmm. Defensive positioning on this team. Yep. I'm going to say Marquis Chris. Uh,
0: yes, but TJ Warren seemed to always be in the wrong place with his legs. He's like always like this pick and rolls. He's like, Oh my gosh. That was
1: with Chris. Cause he always fouls everybody. Well,
0: that's, that's Chris. He's all over the place. He's like a little, people say, <laughs> I don't know if someone said this, but he's like just Gumby, just like all over the place. Kind of like falling on people, dunking on things. <laughs>
1: That's what happens. He's like a puppy out there, just running around, and <laughs> but he's good. Doesn't but... know what he's doing. He's a little awkward, but he's excited to be there.
0: And yeah, TJ. W- yeah, and TJ Warren has like defense. Dwayne Wade cutting ability. It's amazing. I love watching that because it's really what helps make a team good. Is that cutting? Mm-hmm. But he needs to get better on defensive positioning and get that three. He needs to get that hitch out of his shot.
1: He did get better body. at defense last year, though.
0: It's better. I mean, it's better than it was before. But I still, see some things where I'm like, Do you want him to drive right to the hoop?
1: <laughs> it's like, is that what your goal was, was to let him go right by you? Because then you succeeded.
0: You succeeded. So that's pretty much all the stuff I had. Uh, why don't you plug some of your stuff? I'll plug mine and we'll get out of here.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you can find me on Twitter if you want, at the Adam Green. Usually just a lot of some sarcasm here and there, some Cardinals notes, some random sports thoughts. And, of course, if you go to ArizonaSports.com, the newly redesigned ArizonaSports.com, you'll find some of my bylines there, too. And then, of course... On Saturdays, Arizona Sport ninety eight point seven FM, Arizona Sports Station, from eleven to one, I co-host Arizona Sports Saturday. Most Saturdays, anyway, we take a few off here and there. But you can hear my thoughts instead of just reading them. You can hear my thoughts that way on the radio if you so choose.
0: I definitely suggest you go follow Adam and everything. Um, go follow me at Eric underscore Sar. Um, come back for the Solar Insights podcast. It's starting to blow up. Please share with your friends. Um, and also to tag it on the end here. I have just launched Elite Hoops Development. It is a, a training website. If you've heard of Impact Basketball, I'm certified by them, and we're starting to train people starting this Saturday. So uh, if you know anybody in age range, maybe 12 to 18 or more, um, let them know. Come to elitehoopsdevelopment.com and come start our training. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks. Bye.